Welcome to the Dare to Multiply podcast. On this podcast, we help passionate Jesus followers become courageous, obedient disciples who impact their communities for the kingdom of God. I'm your host, Cynthia Anderson, a disciple multiplication coach and trainer. I'm going to show you how to make and multiply disciples in your area. God's got great things ahead for you. Let's dare to multiply. Doing things differently can cause criticism. And today we have a real treat. We are talking with Dave Coles about his his book that came out recently on and it's called Jonathan Edwards on Movements and he's bringing to us these insights about how do you handle criticism? And there has been criticism about disciple multiplication, DMMs, disciple making movements and CPMs. How do you handle that criticism in a godly way? Um, wonderful insights to come. Criticism will come as we implement new things. They're not actually new, they're old, they're from the New Testament, but as we do things differently from the traditional model of church that's around us and we receive criticism, how do you handle that? And how do you take um, take note in a, in a positive way how do we even judge for those who are not being criticized, but you're you're actually asking questions. Um, is this okay? Is this right? How do we judge whether or not movements are are valid and are from the Lord? We, we want to look to scripture and we also want to look to some key theologians from the past, like the renowned Jonathan Edwards. You're going to enjoy this episode. We'll be back with it in just a moment. Are you busy but not seeing the fruit you long for? Dissatisfied with your present level of impact on those around you? Or frustrated with traditional methods of discipleship that don't seem to be effective? If so, the Getting Started in Disciple Making Movements course may be just what you need. Inside the Getting Started program, you'll get access to a step-by-step proven approach to making and multiplying disciples. Not only will you receive 25 short and practical video teachings spread out over six modules, but you'll have a chance to connect with others for group coaching via our monthly Zoom calls. And even more importantly, you'll become part of a global community of like-minded people from all over the world who are passionately committed to following Jesus and impacting others around them. If you want to get unstuck and begin moving forward as a disciple who makes disciples, I encourage you to go to courses.dmmsfrontiermissions.com and sign up for this powerful program today. And now to today's episode. Well, today I have the privilege of interviewing Dave Coles. And Dave, what a joy to have you here on the Dare to Multiply podcast. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. Yeah. And we are looking today at advice from the past. We're looking at those who maybe even have opposed movements and some advice that Dave has insight into from really key movement leaders, you may call them, um, revivalists from the past and what they've written about. And uh, has a recent book out um, on move, uh, Jonathan Edwards on movements. I think is that, did I get the title right, Dave? Yes. You got it. Okay. 
And um, I actually just finished this book. I was just doing a workout and I finished it listening to it. I listened to it on the Audible and it's just a great work. And I'm so, so excited to have this opportunity to hear from you and for our audience to hear what the insights in this book. A lot of us don't read Edwards just for fun, you know, <laughs> but um, it's great to have someone explain and bring to us the insights from this man of God from the past. And um, yeah, looking forward to this. But before we dive into that, Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're located, and maybe a little of your story. How did you get interested in disciple multiplication? Okay, yeah. I'm currently based in upstate New York, and um, I was a pastor in upstate New York, further upstate, uh, far, far north for 10 years in the 1980s. Let me and just during, interrupt you. Upstate yeah. New York is in the United States, right? Yes. In the <laughs> <Okay. United States. laughs> We've got a few people who are listening in far flung corners of the earth. So I just wanted to make sure we got that. Please continue. Yep. Yeah. And so it's not New York City. It's the pretty part of the state. <laughs> and uh, so as I was pastoring for those 10 years, the Lord put on my heart a call to reach especially the Muslim world. Um, you know, I thought it's not fair that this little town I'm in has six gospel preaching churches and millions of Muslims have no chance to hear the good news. Mm. And so over the course of a number of years, uh, he put on my heart to go to the world's largest majority Muslim country, uh, Indonesia, and mm. uh, to work there to try to plant churches among un an unreached people group. So I did that. I worked with a team of Indonesians and uh, we began the process. God blessed and we were able to see some folks come to faith. Mm -hmm. And just a couple of years into that process, maybe about four or five years into that process, uh, David Garrison's little booklet, Church Planning Movements, came out in the late 1990s. And as I read that, I thought, oh, this is this is interesting. This is good. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um and I realized there are some things here that we actually are doing wrong. We, we could be doing better. Um, mm. And so I talked with my ministry team about it, but we had already kind of set the DNA of what we were doing. And mm. uh, they weren't that interested in changing the DNA. So over the next few years, uh, I had moved into leadership at, at that point uh, then in the early 2000s. I was overseeing 10 or 12 uh, teams around Indonesia and began seeding them with these ideas of church planting movements. And then Garrison's book came out, the full-size book in 2004. And uh, I did what I could to encourage the teams to think in terms of those kinds of principles, um, even as uh, I uh, and my ministry team in Indonesia went kind of separate ways. Uh, they continued with what they were doing, and I continued to nudge whoever was willing to listen toward what I believed would be a more fruitful, more multiplicative paradigm. And then around 2010, uh, you know, we were hearing more whispers of movements actually happening in various places. And um, I came in touch with some material that began to be known as discovery uh, material, you know, uh, sure. DMM kinds of material. And I thought, this is really good. I really like that pattern of uh, helping people to discover God's truth rather than trying to get them to listen to me telling God's truth. And so around 2014, I had a major reevaluation and asked, what is my best role to serve these movements? They really exist. I've now been able to visit a couple, talk with some of the leaders. And I think rather than me trying to make something happen, the best thing I can do is say to these brothers and sisters, how can I encourage? How can I help you? What, mm -hmm. what would be my best role to see God work uh, in even greater ways through what he's doing here? 
So that's a little of my background. So now I'm an encourager and resourcer of church planning movements, disciple making movements, however I can encourage folks. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, and thank you for being here to encourage people today. And I know I'm already encouraged just hearing your story. I know there's more to come, but I wanted to just pause and kind of go back to in your story just for a moment, if we can mm -hmm. go a little deeper on that. Um, not everyone wants to change. Not everyone. <laughs> when uh, we introduce mindset shifts and new ways of doing things, even with that broader vision, not everybody comes alongside. That must have been kind of difficult for you. Would would you just explain a little bit more about that process and kind of how the Lord helped you in that, if you would? Sure, sure. I'd be glad to. Uh, I remember distinctly, uh, I had a, a leader with the team leaders that I was overseeing. Again, about a dozen folks. And one of them had already really seriously bought into the CPM paradigm at that time. And uh, so we had him do a whole day session on this stuff, these principles, how this works. And we had mixed reactions from uh, from the leaders. And in my mind, this was like, OK, it's it's up to you. I'm not telling you how you have to do this, but here's something we think will be fruitful. And the brother who had led the session commented to me later, you know, it's not surprising we hit some resistance because fundamentally these guys have already been serving for years among the unreached. And now they have to admit I haven't been doing the best job I could be doing. I got to do something mm, different. Yeah. So it calls for a radical change of paradigm. I'm delighted to say one of the brothers who was most resistant at that time over the course of the next few years started implementing a little bit, a little bit. And now he's all in and is still wow. on the field doing amazing stuff that is uh, DMM oriented. And so wow. you know, not everybody buys in, not everybody has to, it's not my job to make them. We just, we just lay the table, we set out the feast and people can decide you wanna join or you wanna keep doing what you've been doing. That's right, yeah, we're, we're offering a new model. We're not trying to destroy an old model. Right. <laughs> we're yeah. just offering uh, another perspective, another way of doing things. And I love how that story about the man who later on, as you know, as you were patient and continued, obviously you continued in relationship with him mm -hmm. or you wouldn't know that story right. <laughs> of yep. how, um, you know, not everyone is going to feel called to this, to implement these kinds of multiplication principles. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, I want people to hear that. That's okay. We yes. don't have to convince them. We don't have to, and we certainly shouldn't shame them or make them feel like they're doing everything wrong and we're doing it all right. But yep. we offer alternatives we share our own experiences and what a beautiful example of that Dave thanks for sharing that that's a little extra here today yes, Absolutely, <laughs> you know, these are our brothers and sisters we love them we are family and that is more fundamental than what approach we're using in ministry that's so right. we, we got to be loving no matter what happens and uh, right. whatever approach we're using and God works in so many different ways. And we just want the kingdom to go forward in whatever Absolutely. way God has called you to. Uh, so I love that. Well, tell us a little bit about this book and maybe why you decided to write it. I mean, not everybody writes a book like this. I'm, you know, a leader of the past. So why, why was this important enough to you to put it in writing? Yeah. Um, as I was interacting with movement leaders and helping them to write some articles, and I was writing some articles about what was happening, what God's doing in these movements, um, I also began to read some articles with some pushback, some criticism, some concerns, that kind of thing. And I tried to listen carefully to what people were saying. You know, it's not like we've got it all figured out. 
And I found that some of the concerns were misunderstandings. They didn't really understand what was being said, what was happening. In some cases, it was um, CPM trainers were saying things that weren't very helpful. <laughs> it mm. wasn't actually the problem in the movement. The problem was some Westerner who had gotten excited about the model and was pushing something that actually we weren't encouraging. Can you pause there and give an example of that? Do you have an example? Oh, my. Um, yeah, probably one example would be sometimes sloppy exegesis being used to support the model. Uh, you know, read a Bible verse and then say, so this means this. And and those that are looking carefully at scripture are saying, well, that's not exactly what this is saying. You know, you're kind of pulling this mm. out of context. And, uh, and so that's part of it. And part of it um, is kind of a bandwagon effect where it's like, this is the latest, greatest thing and everybody should buy into it. And kind of a pushiness mm. that's unhelpful. Mm. So those mm. two things, I think, caused some unnecessary pushback. But it was the fault not of the, the actual movement leaders. It was the fault of... Uh, Westerners, and I as an American, I'll say it was probably mostly Americans being too pushy and, and telling everybody <laughs> you should do it this way. I've we Americans, <laughs> we Americans are guilty. <laughs> I'm an American too by passport, though I've hardly lived in the U.S. But yes, we can be pushy and we can get so zealous, so excited about a particular, you know, thing that is transforming us. And you know, yeah. we get so excited that sometimes we we don't acknowledge those criticisms and um, pushback as being real and and yeah. with humility, really look at them. So I really exactly. appreciate that. Yeah. Continue. Yeah. Why yeah. Edwards? Yeah. <laughs> and so <laughs> as I was listening to some of the criticisms, again, some were misunderstandings, some were unfounded fears, like we're afraid that, you know, if people do this, this might happen. And I said, well, actually, we're not seeing that happen in the movements. Um, but as I tried to share helpful responses to some of the critics and some of the concerns, I realized some of these concerns sound a lot like concerns that were raised during the First Great Awakening. And uh, back when I was a pastor, I had started reading some Jonathan Edwards works and, and it was kind of ringing a bell. And I realized, I think I'm actually borrowing some of Edwards ideas without giving him credit for this stuff. Okay. And um, some of the things that he wrote in response to the criticisms, some of his descriptions of the revival, the First Great Awakening, and then also how he responded to some of the criticisms that were raised during that time. And I thought, I'm going to take a closer look at that. And the mm. more I looked at what he had written, the more I thought, this is really good. A lot of this is very applicable, I think. And so I just kind of started taking notes and scribbling as an experiment, and it turned into quite a few thousand words. <laughs> That's great. Well, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with The Great Awakening and Jonathan Edwards, um, would you just give us a, a quick snapshot of that? I know there's people listening from all over the world mm -hmm. who may be more familiar with their own revivals in their nations or things that God's done, but not so familiar with the American context. But yeah, would you just share a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor. He was a writer, a theologian in colonial New England. Uh, so in other words, before the United States was its own country, it was still a colony of England. And he lived in New England in the early 1700s, from 1703 to 1758. And um, he was perhaps the greatest theologian the U.S. has ever seen, or the, the Americas have ever seen. Uh, even those who disagree with Edwards on a lot of things would say, he's brilliant. Um, mm -hmm. He's a great theologian. 
And uh, he had not only a brilliant mind, but also a passionately warm heart for the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's the thing that had excited me about reading his works is he is so passionate about Jesus and does such a great job of describing the glory of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of heaven, all these things. And so he had written a few pieces related to the revival or the awakening that took place. One was entitled, The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. In other words, mm. how can you tell when something's happening? Is this of God or is this not? Brilliant mm. piece. Um, also, Thoughts on the Revival was another essay of his. And uh, he wrote a faithful narrative of the surprising work of God in the conversion of many hundred souls in Northampton. That's actually mm -hmm. half the title. It's an <laughs> wow, long titles back then. Huh? <laughs> absolutely. But you get the idea, a faithful narrative of what God was doing. Right. And also he wrote a book called Religious Affections, which I think is incredibly edifying for those mm. who are able to read stuff written 300 years ago. Not, <laughs> right. not everybody is up for reading the kind of English that was written 300 years ago. But mm. for those who can handle it, it's very edifying and very insightful, at least Edward's mm. stuff. And so his perspective on revival and the connection of prayer and revival has influenced Christian views ever since. Right, uh, he right. really laid the foundation for a lot of our thinking about prayer and revival. Now, 100 years later, Charles Finney came along and had some different views that have also had a mixed bag. I'm not as big a fan of Finney as I am of Edwards on the right. subject of revival. But that's who Jonathan Edwards was, a brilliant theologian and brilliant insights into what was happening in his day that was very surprising in uh, colonial New England. Well, that's excellent. You know, I think it's so true that we we often look at what's happening today and we fail to look to the past to learn. We fail mm -hmm. to look to people outside our cultural context. I've just recently yeah. been here in the U.S. and really challenging and encouraging American Christian leaders. There is some wonderful things that are happening in the global south and around the world that that can really help the American church. Let's look outside our own context, yeah. but that also includes looking to the past and what God's done in the past and what people learned at those times. So, so Absolutely. good. Yep. Yeah. And one of the things that really struck me about Edwards, not only was he brilliant, but also um, I noticed that many of the critics of disciple making movements were from a reformed background. As mm. I talked and listened and discussed what the issues and what their concerns were, I kept hearing specifically reformed kinds of concerns. And Jonathan Edwards is a huge hero among the reformed. He, right. His reformed credentials are impeccable. So I right. thought if his perspectives had any relevance to the current discussion on CPM, DMM, that could be very helpful. So I said, hey, I think Edwards is our guy. Let's bring that's, him into the discussion. That's great. And I love how at the end of the book, you kind of say, if Jonathan Edwards was here talking to a bunch of people who are having this discussion, what would he say? And um, yeah, we'll come to that, you know, some of the conclusions. But tell us a little bit more about some of the, the insights he had on critiques of revivals. And what are what are some of the things, some of the points from the book? Not everybody will be able to access your book. Those of you who can, I encourage you to get a copy on Audible or get a copy, a hard copy, paper book, paperback. <laughs> but not everybody who listens to this podcast is a reader. Not everyone has access to Amazon even. So give us some of the highlights. What are some of the main points of what he, he said about that? 
Okay. Yeah. And his essay, The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God, and that's the one in which he's very distinctly and explicitly responding to critics and criticisms of what was happening. So he takes as his text, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, that says uh, in the King James, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And so this essay has three sections. The first is negative signs, or in other words, what things are not signs by which we should judge a work. They're not evidences that it's from the Spirit of God. Um, they're not, let me, they're not evidences that it's not from the okay. Spirit of God. So you may see some things that make you nervous, but that doesn't prove it's bad. That's section right. one. Section two is, what are the distinguishing scripture evidences of a work of the Spirit of God? How do we know it's of God? And then third main section is the practical inferences. And so there were things that made some people nervous in those days. Um, mm -hmm. They saw some things happening that were out of control. You know, these were mm -hmm. very staid churches. People sat in the pews and then all of a sudden, they're falling out of their seats. They're crying out for mercy in the middle of the sermon. You know, they're flying. And it was kind of out of, con some people didn't care for that. Um, yeah. You know, they there were concerns that some teaching was being given by people that didn't have adequate theological education. Mm. Um, some things were happening that they didn't see in the Bible explicitly. There were mm. some errors mixed in. So they had concerns. But uh, Edwards, uh, to, to put it in a nutshell, he gave five evidences or five what he called sure distinguishing scripture evidences and marks of a work of the Spirit of God. So here they are. Number one, it raises people's esteem of the true Jesus. Mm. If they love Jesus more, this is a good sign. Mm. <laughs> the second, when the Spirit at work operates against the interests of Satan's kingdom. So all the things that Satan is about, it diminishes those things. Mm. That's number two. Number three, it causes people to have a greater regard for the Holy Scriptures. They're more reading the Bible, studying, memorizing, applying the Bible. That's number three. Four, it operates as a spirit of truth, leading people to truth. And then five, if the spirit that's at work among people operates as a spirit of love to God and other people. So love was his number five, his, his drive at home punch. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so good. For him, the big question was always, is this bringing more glory to Jesus and more love for God and others? And mm. so if it does, this is a good thing, even if it's a little bit messy, even if there's mm. some issues, questions, problems. If people are more excited about Jesus, more in love with Jesus, more kind to others, more loving, and more all those things, well, you know, the details, we can take care of those. Mm. Let's not condemn the work. Oh, that's so good. And so, so easy to see how that is applicable to a disciple making movement, church planning movement approach and, mm -hmm. and a, a movement that's beginning. Oh, so good. Yeah, that's really good. Um, did you have more on that? No, those are the main things. Main you know, thing. he goes obviously into a lot more detail. Sure. About um, some of the things that are not a sign that it's not from God. He says, you know, you may find uh, some some problems in the work. You mm. may find some people that are saying things that are not entirely accurate. Mm. And he goes on. It's amazing uh, how he goes through each item and shows that 
that doesn't prove it's not of God. Mm, and I love right. that approach of his. He uses the same approach, by the way, in his book, um, uh, Religious Affections, where he goes mm -hmm. through the whole first half of that book is he describes things and says, this is not a sign necessarily that these affections are from God. And by the time you finish that first half, you're like, what is the sign? <laughs> right, right. And again, he comes in with these in religious affections and says, it's love for God. It's love mm. for Jesus. It's love for people mm. And, mm. and those things. And so I love that the many of the things that critics were raising are exactly the kinds of things that Jonathan Edwards was being criticized for during the first great awakening. And now we look back and we think, oh, that was great. But mm -hmm. in that at the time, yeah. yeah, there was significant controversy and dispute about those things among mm. religious leaders. Wow. Yeah, so good. And, you know, I can testify as I look at those that you've just mentioned, I had, had listened to them on your, on your book earlier, but just love for God increasing, love for scripture increasing, people people's love, you know, and esteem of Jesus rising. Oh my goodness, have I ever seen that in my own life? And yeah. as I've started doing this and in the lives of those that we've engaged with and um, yeah, who would want to stop that? You know, yeah. and Edwards, Edwards gives some strong warnings about those who oppose something that that is a move of God. Um, do you want to speak to that for a moment? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I remember a few years ago I was talking with some other leaders and um, they were not all huge fans of movements. Some were, some were not. And one of the brothers uh, said, you know, you might want to be a little careful describing this as a work of God, you know, assuming that God is in this thing. And I said, oh, OK, I received that. And and for a number of years, I was careful to avoid using that language. And then I saw Jonathan Edwards. He uses that language. That's exactly what he says. This is a work of God. If it fits these signs. And I said, yeah, these movements, all the ones that I'm interacting with and aware of, they fit these five signs. You know, when you see uh, Muslims coming out of their background and loving Jesus, the real Jesus, loving scripture, that's a good thing. You know, when you see right. the demons being cast out, you see people being healed, you see families being transformed. How can you say this is a bad thing? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we get so attached to those, you know, well, it's it's rocking my boat. You know, it's different from what I'm used to and things mm -hmm. that have really, you know, what I find is things that have been so precious to me because they have influenced me they have changed me they have made me who i am i'm attached to those things and yes. when you see something happen that's different it can feel like those things are being disregarded somehow um yeah. you know and there's a loyalty that kind of kicks in that i think can influence um people as mm -hmm. well but uh yeah. yeah very much so and and the fact that this is a different approach doesn't mean other things are bad it's no. a question of, are there good things that are getting in the way of the best things that God wants to do? And so right. we can say that that's fine, but we believe God wants to do something even greater. And uh, I'm always like, if God wants to do something greater, I want to be ready for that. I want to be part yeah. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I tell people a lot of times I don't like change. 
you know <laughs> i i like things to be the way they they always have been because i you know i'm comfortable with those and sometimes my husband goes you know a different direction than we've always gone when we drive somewhere it drives me crazy i'm like that's not the right way this is the way we go to get there and he's got some other route he wants to experiment with and i get so annoyed you know it's um we're our human nature doesn't like change and yet you know i want to be right there with jesus when he is doing a new thing when he is doing something different if you know i don't want to be opposing that I want to be moving with that and open yeah. to that, at least as to adding that as another model, um, you know, and not right. opposing. Um, but it's hard. It's hard yeah. for our human nature sometimes. Exactly. So. And and I've seen that in so many of the movement leaders that I've interviewed, where the thing that they stress is not so much I followed this pattern like it was some cookie mm. cutter. It's I we followed the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and in many cases, the mistake that I think back to our, your question earlier about some of the trainers causing a problem, they were mm. pushing, you have to do it exactly this way or it won't work. And mm. there, what was missing was the prayer and fasting. What was missing was the mm. sensitivity to the spirit. That's so much a reality for the people actually experiencing movements. And that's what Edwards was saying as well. The spirit of God, the wind blows where the wind wants to blow. And the spirit mm. does what the spirit wants to do. The question is, are we ready to go with the spirit or are we stuck with our patterns? As you said, the things we're used to, our assumptions, mm. what we've gotten comfortable with when the spirit of God would like to sometimes make us a bit uncomfortable to do something even greater than what we've experienced before. Yeah, so true. Well, tell us, Dave, about a story of someone who you know who stepped into these new things and seen a movement they, they haven't given in to maybe the pressure and different things that you know those who oppose them but gone for it and continued to follow the spirit of god do you have a story of, of your own life or of someone that uh you've been working with and the movements that have resulted i'd love to hear a story yeah sure um the movement families I'm most familiar with, and I say families because each one of these has launched multiple movements. One mm. is in India uh, and three are in Africa. And uh, the one in India, uh, I talked with Victor John, who was um, at the beginning of the Bhojpuri movement, and that turned into this book, Bhojpuri Breakthrough. So as I interacted with Victor and heard about his stories and what God did, it was pretty amazing to see how he went through a season of letting go of being a pastor and taking time off and saying, I just, I need to do something different because what I've been doing, it's not going to reach the unreached people around us. And as he tells it, so many people said, you're crazy. What are you doing? This is the wrong path. And for a season, it was just him saying, God, I think you're calling me to this. I'm going to go with it. Mm. And, um, you know, in the movement families in Africa, I've been able to interview a number of the workers there and to see how God is using them, their passion. One of the things that I've seen in each case as I've interviewed people in these movements is they are passionate about living as disciples and making disciples and doing whatever it takes. Mm. Um, a few months ago, I was in Africa and interviewed a brother who had just gotten out of jail three days before for sharing his faith. Mm. He ministers in a really challenging context, but that doesn't stop him. When he gets out of jail, he goes back to doing what God has called him to do. 
-hmm. And I interviewed a sister who, from the time she came to faith, was passionate about sharing the Lord with people. And mm -hmm. she now pastors three above ground churches, three different churches, but has started 25 underground churches. And wow. so she's a great example of how both models can work together. She's not against one and doing just mm -hmm. the other. But mm -hmm. with all these underground churches, she has raised up indigenous leaders. And that's one of the things I really appreciated is the desire for indigenous leadership, not to stay in control, but to release control to local people and raise up those leaders. So it's marvelous to see the testimony of people who have uh, given so much, given up so much, and are just amazing brothers and sisters. Amazing, not because of something innate in them, but because they follow what the Spirit tells them to do, and He uses them powerfully. Mm, so good. Um, and yeah, you mentioned families of movements, and mm -hmm. that's one of the things we're seeing around the world, that movements catalyze movements that catalyze mm -hmm. movements, just as churches start churches that start churches and disciples start disciples, you know, make disciples who make disciples, these movements are multiplying. And a lot of the growth that we're seeing around the world is coming from movements, catalyzing other movements. So exciting to see that happen. Yeah, excellent. Well, Go ahead. I'll, I'll put a number on that. In the uh, January-February issue 2023 of Mission Frontiers, we put together a whole bunch of case studies of exactly what you just said, movements starting movements. And um, some of my research friends discovered that 85 to 90 percent of the movements now being started are being started by other movements who are sending people. So mm. it's it's contagious. One of the uh, movement families, they use the, the picture of uh, hot coals where you take uh, a hot ember from one fire to another place to start a new fire. And that's really what they're doing. The fire is there in these movements and they're taking that fire to the next group next door that needs to hear the gospel. Yeah, that's amazing. I didn't know that you were behind that research. I had read that, um, but that's such a such a powerful article. And so I don't exciting. get credit for it. I just report it. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you for your humility there and being willing to be in the background, but still serve so much, Dave. Really yes. appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and that brings me to the the, the last question. I think we're going to have to wrap up here okay. soon, but um, I really love the part of the book where you talk about humility and the mm. importance of humility in when God is powerfully at work. Some of those who are listening, some of you, are seeing amazing things happen. Yeah. You're starting to see multiplication. You're seeing, you know, miracles take place. Uh, speak a little bit to us about what does Edwards have to say about humility um, in our lives as we as we see these moves of God. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. One of the things that I really appreciate about this book was, as I said, if Jonathan Edwards were in our time, what would he say? It wasn't all positive. There are a couple of places where he gave words of caution in his context, which I said, yeah, these words of caution can apply in our context mm. to those who are in movements, those who are proponents of movements. Mm. And so he's really speaking to both sides. And I tried to, to be honest and bring that out. And mm. one of the very strongest warnings he gave to those who are in the midst of it, who are passionate, who are excited, was for humility, that whenever we have a connection with any work of God, we need mm. humility and caution, lest pride leads us to claim some credit for it. 
You know, mm -hmm. I did this. And one of the things, again, Victor John says, I, you'll never hear me say, I did this, and it brought a movement. It's, mm. it's God who brings movements. The way Edwards put it is, um, I'll quote him, humility and entire dependence on our Lord Jesus Christ will be our best defense. Let us therefore maintain the strictest watch against spiritual pride. In his book, Thoughts on the Revival, he says more on that. He says, the errors that attend a great revival of religion usually arise from these three things. One, undiscerned spiritual pride. Two, wrong principles. And three, ignorance of Satan's advantages and devices. The first and the worst cause of errors is spiritual pride. This is the main door by which the devil comes into the hearts of those that are zealous for the advancement of religion. So he says humility is vital. He stresses this. He, he encourages people to promote the work that God's doing. He's definitely in favor. He says, how can we promote this? But at the same time, do it with humility and be clear. This is the work of a sovereign God. Mm. And, and as a reformed person, Edwards is very strong on the sovereignty of God and his power. It's not mm. any of our works. It's not any of our plans. It's not any of our things that make it happen. We don't get any of the credit. It's God mm. who gets all the credit and all the glory. And Edward stresses that strongly with a warning. Mm. So important. So important. And, you know, it brings to mind uh, recently I've heard some of the sort of dialogue about what's more important, the method or the person, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. probably you've heard that too. And, you know, people go back and forth, which mm -hmm. one's more important. Um, you know, I, I tend to agree with Stan Parks who says it's both, obviously it's both, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> the methods matter and yeah. the person really matters, you know, the, the kind of person that God's going to use, but yeah. really ultimately it's neither the person nor the method. It's a move of God. It's the spirit yeah. of God that infuses those, you know, those principles, mm -hmm. those things that we teach and train and so, exactly. so important that we yeah. recognize that, remember that and stay, stay willing to be in the background and mm -hmm. in the shadow of his spirit, what he's doing, mm -hmm. let him be the one that is highlighted. And, you know, a caution too, I would give to those who are listening, you know, sometimes it's tempting to talk about my disciples or my movement, you know, and I think mm -hmm. even that kind of language can lead mm -hmm. to a sense of pride of look what I'm doing, look what God's yeah. doing through me. And we might even use that language to give him a little bit of a, you know, uh, 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 head, you know, head nod. God's yeah. in this, but you know, no, 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 Lord, please keep us in that place of utter mm -hmm. dependence, humility. That anything good that happens is of Him. I'll take credit for all the mistakes, but um, anything good, it's because of His sovereign move yes. and His work through us as you know, fallible, mm -hmm. broken people that yep. He chose to work through. So, so Absolutely. important. And um, yeah, what a wonderful uh, interview and insights. I'm really excited that people got a chance to hear from you. Tell us how can people connect with you, um, the resources, uh, the research, and with your book in particular, how do people get a copy if they are able to buy one? Yes, um, best way to get the book is uh, on Amazon. It's available in paperback and Kindle and also, uh, as you mentioned, audio. Uh, I didn't read the audio. A friend of mine offered to do it. I said, yeah, go for it, brother. So that's not my uh, voice, but he did all the reading of Edwards and me. So the book you can get on Amazon. Uh, if you have questions or comments for me, 
uh, you can email me. My email is dcoles, that is D-C-O-L-E-S 778 at gmail.com. Um, so you can email me. In terms of resources, I would recommend the 2414 website. If you're not familiar with that, that's a treasure trove. And that's uh, 2414now.net. And that has lots of stuff. Um, if you go to their resource page, it's 2414now.net slash resources. And that's got about 30 books. Um, it includes everything I've published, Road Free Breakthrough, Jonathan Edwards, et cetera, and lots of other books. Um, I'm pretty sure Cindy's book is there. Mine is on there. Yes, yes. it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so lots of resources there. Also, if you, uh, if you like videos, oh, and I'll mention... Just briefly, this book, Motus Day, has uh, um, lots of good stuff, including chapter three, which I wrote on responses to criticisms of DMM CPM. Okay. Um, and uh, finally, if you like videos, uh, my organization, Beyond, has lots of good videos on CPM DMM. So that's beyond.org, B-E-Y-O-N-D.org slash videos. And there's lots of good stuff there. So That's hopefully awesome. those resources will be helpful. That'll keep you all out of trouble for a while. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Dave. And once again, um, yeah, blessings as you continue to encourage and work with movement leaders all around the world. And I know people will be accessing some of those resources. And I do hope that if you have availability to it, uh, especially if you're a practitioner who is receiving some criticism or um, you know, you don't know quite how to handle that or how to answer that. And I think this book gives some really, really good insights. Um, or if you're kind of curious and you, you're wondering, you know, um, I'm not sure about this, but, you know, how do I think about these uh, DMM, CPM moves that are happening around the world and really, really good insights from this book. Mm -hmm. So. God bless you, Dave. Thanks. Thank you. And um, yeah, we'll see you again, maybe somewhere in Thailand or um, yeah. Thank you again. Great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Cindy. Imagine a world where passionate followers of Jesus come together to multiply, transforming lives beyond imagination. Instead of toiling with little fruit, what if God's abundance flowed beyond your wildest dreams? Picture those you've invested in sharing Jesus freely, creating a ripple effect of disciple making. In her new book, The Multiplier's Mindset, Cynthia Anderson reveals how shifting mindsets can revolutionize disciple-making. When Cynthia and her colleagues experienced these mindset shifts, they saw enormous results including the launching of 19 multiplying movements in Africa and Asia, transforming tens of thousands of lives. This book will help you discover hidden harvesters, see church members move from passivity to passion, and release the power of simplicity in multiplying disciples. Don't remain stuck. Learn to move toward greater fruitfulness. Visit MultipliersMindset.com and get your copy of The Multipliers Mindset today. I so enjoyed that interview and a chance to talk with Dave about this book. There are many things that I am taking away from this call, but one of them is that just not everyone is going to adopt these principles and that is okay. You know, I think I needed to hear that again today. It's okay. It's okay if people criticize. It's okay if not everybody understands. It's okay. 
but we want to stay humble. We want to continue to love and stay in relationship with those and offer what we are learning, what we're experiencing, but um, not be pushy about it. Let's just uh, offer that to people and it's okay. If it's not God's timing for them, no worries. We don't need to be confused or frustrated by that. Um, and I loved how Dave so beautifully brought that. And then we do need to be willing to listen to our critics. Um, part of being humble is being willing to listen to others who have differing views, to listen to their honest questions and concerns. Many times it's because they haven't really understood or they heard something or other and um, they haven't actually talked to somebody who's actually seen a movement or is doing movement work. And um, as we listen and we interact with humility, many times we can respond and answer those questions um, from, from scripture, from things that we've been doing, but we don't need to be reactive. We don't need to be defensive of that. And then these insights from Edwards of the five evidences of a move of God, it raises the esteem of Jesus, it diminishes the influence of Satan, it lifts up a higher regard for scripture, it leads people to embrace truth, and it causes greater love for God and others. That's such a beautiful list for us to measure. Is it truly a move of God? Are we seeing those things as we're trying to multiply disciples as the movement's emerging? Are we seeing those things take place? They will be there if it's truly a move of God, not just something we're trying to force or catalyze in some way. And then the warning uh, against pride. As we do see God work in powerful ways, as as the numbers grow in a movement and we are seeing you know thousands and then tens of thousands and maybe even more than that coming into the faith um, let's guard ourselves against pride and make sure that we give glory to god so here's my action step for you my wonderful listeners my action step is if you are seeing incredible things begin to happen check your heart Ask God, is there any, any tiny little bit of pride in me that you need to take care of today? If there is, root it out. I don't want it there. Let's, let's ask God to do that for us today and be willing to ask him to, to do that. And if, if you are not seeing those things happen, then I would encourage you to also pray that same prayer, Lord, the opposite of pride is insecurity, you know? So Lord, help me not to be insecure. Help me to give you glory. Help me to continue to realize this is your work, not my work. And I can't do it in my own strength. And would you increase that dependency that I have on you in this season? Um, help me to lean into you and depend on you. And when things do begin to be released, may I always give you the glory. God bless you guys, and uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Blessing. That's all we've got for this episode of the Dare to Multiply podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment in iTunes, on Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at dmmsfrontiermissions.com slash blog on social media, and please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, 
God's dreams for us are always bigger than we can imagine.